Today, I have the pleasure of proclaiming good news to you, not as one over and above you, but as one from our midst, proclaiming good news from the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, today we proclaim the good news that the way of the kingdom is not a code to be cracked or something that's only attainable by the star students or the professional preachers. It's not far off. It's right in front of you. It's rooted in reality. Let go of what's holding you back and say yes to kingdom life today. Witness the way of love and then go and do likewise. Today, our gospel passage centers on the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a classic. Everybody here is familiar with it. Remy actually was at my sister's church last week in their kids' ministry, and he brought home this stack of cups that he had like put stickers on that is like it lays out each scene of the Good Samaritan. So I don't doubt that many of you have heard the Good Samaritan a number of times. You probably could recount it to me right now without looking in your Bibles. The passage starts in verse 25 of Luke 10. It says, Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Seems like a great time in a conversation with Jesus just to end it there. Like, that's great. You, you answered correctly. Now walk away. Get out of there. And I, as I read the text this week and was preparing, I just could not help envisioning the lawyer asking this question, answering, and then stepping away and being like, you know what? I better just check on this real quick. One point of clarity. Who's my neighbor again? It says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus this, who is my neighbor? The message version says that the lawyer was looking for a loophole, and that may be true. Of course, there's really no way for us to know, but I really resonate with this idea of trying to justify myself. Growing up, I received an understanding of Christianity, a view of God that really emphasized a need to justify oneself. We, of course, believed that we were sinners that were saved by grace, but it was almost as if God had apportioned a certain amount of grace for each of us, and it was like just the right amount to get you in the door. But once you got saved, you had to fight like hell to stay saved. This was both implicit and explicit in the church that I grew up in. So you didn't have to earn God's good graces, but you had to fight to stay in them. I think that this was especially related to doctrine and belief. In fact, at my church growing up, there were a number of abuses or sins that were either quickly forgiven, maybe swept under the rug, or overlooked. But misalignment in theology or doctrine was never overlooked. It was always a bridge too far. Of course, there's loads to say about power and power dynamics in these situations. The people whose sins were often quickly forgiven or overlooked seem to be the people with the most power. And the people that had a disposition that differed as it related to doctrine or theology threatened that power. So that is a whole separate sermon. Maybe it's not even a sermon, but there's a lot there to unpack. So I resonate with this lawyer's effort to justify himself. I come by it honestly from the church that I was raised in, the family that I was raised in. He couldn't leave well enough alone. He had to ask one more question. And Jesus responds to his question of who is my neighbor with the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
There's a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's robbed, beaten, stripped, and left half dead on the side of the road. By chance, a priest was going down that road. And when the priest saw this man lying there half dead, he passed on the other side. And then a Levite came down that same road, and when he saw the man lying there half dead, he passed by on the opposite side as well. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. When he saw the man, he was moved with pity. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured oil and wine on them. Then he picked him up and put him on his own animal and took him to an inn and cared for him. He paid the innkeeper when he had to leave to take care of him, and he promised to pay for anything over what the amount was that he left. Jesus then, at the conclusion of this parable, turns to the lawyer and asks, So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? Jesus here is using the lawyer's own question to shine a light on the lawyer's prejudice publicly. He's using something shameful here to confound the wise. He asks to clarify who his neighbor is after the parable of the Good Samaritan. But the man had asked, who is my neighbor? So this subtle shift here, Jesus is turning the tables. He's changing and reorienting the conversation completely. The point of this parable is not that the priest and the Levite were without compassion. They had something to lose. They were fearful of becoming ritually unclean or something was at stake for them. Something got in the way of them being moved by their compassion to act in love on behalf of the man who had been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. The priest is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's probably on his way back from his annual duty at the temple in Jerusalem. The key source of conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans was actually this disagreement about the place of the temple within their religion, but also its location. And so it's not just some side point that the priest is on his way back probably from being at the temple. And it's not just that there's some sense of racism here towards the Samaritan, although I'm sure that that is part of what's going on. But this key conflict is actually a theological disagreement about what God is doing in their midst, about the placement of the temple within their, their shared belief. Now, contact within the Jewish tradition, contact with a corpse caused defilement for seven days and required set purification measures that came at a decent amount of financial cost. Jewish people believed that defilement came not only from touching a corpse, but also from sharing the same air, from being too close to it. So many rabbinic texts instruct one to keep about six feet of distance from a corpse. Could this be why the priest and the Levite passed on the opposite side of the road? Some scholars think that this parable is actually just Jesus kind of putting his two cents into this ongoing rabbinic debate about which ranks higher, love of neighbor or corpse defilement. That may be part of what's going on. We certainly cannot say for certain that that is what's all that's happening here. In fact, the text does not say that the man looked like he was dead. We, say, we know that he's half dead, that he looks like he's beaten. But to our knowledge, the priest and the Levite didn't think he was dead. But I'm naming that to name for you that what's going on here is not that the priest and the Levite, as they're walking down the road, just don't care about somebody that's injured. There's some kind of social element that's getting in the way of them being able to care for him. Or else, if, that's, if I'm wrong about that, then this is simply a parable for psychopaths. It's basically Jesus being like, hey, when you see somebody beaten down on the side of the road, you should care about that. And I just believe that the, the good news is better than that good news. 
The point isn't merely that they were uncaring. The point is that Jesus is erasing the boundary that had been drawn around who you could and could not be neighbors with. What's scandalous about this is not that the priest and the Levite are not moved with compassion, but the scandal is who is free to move on their compassion. Jesus is seeking to make a man of knowledge into a man of practice because anything else is insufficient for kingdom life. Church, the way of the kingdom is not a code to be cracked. It's not something that's only attainable by the star students or professional preachers. It's not far off. It's right in front of you. It's rooted in reality. You are free to let go of what's holding you back and say yes to kingdom life today. Witness the way of love and go from here and do likewise. Jesus is challenging this lawyer's self-justification frame, his whole frame of how he looks at the law and what he's doing by understanding and thinking about these texts. Let's take this challenge to this man's frame and apply it and, and consider the other lectionary passages from today. In Deuteronomy, it says, The Lord will take delight in prospering you. When you obey God, observing his commandments, because you turn to him with all your heart and soul, surely this commandment is not too hard for you. It's not pie in the sky. It's not super far off. I think... There's a way of reading this through a self-justification lens that I can slip into so easily that is just telling you, hey, God wants to bless you. You just have to mind your P's and Q's. Like, you better be on your game, and God will bless you for it. This, this command can't be too hard for you. Like, get your life together. But that doesn't really sound like good news. That's just a way of us leveraging and amping up our shame. We're kind of recalibrating our shame and fear so that we can maybe perform better. But if we actually look at this through the frame that Jesus is bringing, this freedom to love, then we can receive this as good news. The Lord is going to take delight in prospering you. And this commandment that you're called to obey is not far off. It's not going to be hard for you. The word is very near to you. It's in your mouth, in your heart for you to observe. The message version says, this commandment that I'm commanding you today isn't too much for you. It's not out of your reach. It's not on a high mountain. You don't have to get mountaineers to climb to the peak and bring it back down to your level and explain it before you can live it. And it's not way out across the ocean. You don't have to send sailors out to get it and bring it back and then explain it before you can live it. No, the words right here and now. As near as the tongue in your mouth, as near as the heart in your chest, just do it. In the psalm it says, To you I lift up my soul, in you I trust. Let not those who wait on you be put to shame. Make me know your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me. You are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all day long. Again, there's a way of thinking about God's laws, his commands, that feel like it's this mandate that's devoid of any kind of love or reaction or understanding. We know what to do, and even if it doesn't make sense to us, we could do it. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a situation where that's appropriate, but if when you look at the Bible... That's like 98% of what you see. I'm here to tell you today that there is more good news for you in there than that. That's not to say that you just make up and do whatever feels good to you in that moment. But you are free to ask questions about what love looks like in 2022. In the complex context that you live your life out in. You're free to go from here today after hearing good news proclaimed and ask questions about what it actually means to be faithful. Not to read Deuteronomy and say, oh, I know what faithfulness looks like today. It's really complicated. Life is really complicated. But this law that comes from God is not complicated. It's a law of love. 
In Colossians, we hear more good news. The passage says, you have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Again, I'm struck by this language. The gospel is coming to you. It's not this thing that you mined or studied or revealed by being smart enough or doing the right things. This gospel has come to you. Just as the gospel has been bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so has it been bearing fruit among you. And that's true of you today, friends. The gospel that we are here to celebrate and observe together is bearing fruit in your life. It's not all up to you to grab it and use it as a tool to, to harvest fruit in your life. The gospel is bearing good fruit in your life. This shift from self-justification, this frame of self-justification to Jesus' frame makes a tremendous difference in how we read and understand not just these passages, but all of Scripture. It doesn't solve everything, but it does open the door to a deeper understanding and a deeper resonance. It actually, for me, has made the shift of reading things and being told that it's the right for me to read this and believe it. And actually now I feel free to take this and apply it to my life. It's not just a heady theology that I can say I believe, but it's actually something that's rooted in today, something that can go with me as I leave the doors of church on Sunday. We are sinners who, are, who have been saved by grace, but God did not use up all the grace that he had for you when he saved you. You're still being saved today. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And part of his work to fulfill this law was to reveal and remove the barriers that we've put up to keep ourselves from living in the law of love. Disciples of Jesus are those who refuse boundaries for the identification of neighbors and instead those who love even their enemies. So friends, we need this good news today. We don't live in Bible times, but who is the modern-day Samaritan? What is the modern-day disagreement about the temple, about its location and role in our faith? As we look around, who has been pushed to the outside, to the margins, so much so that it's difficult for you to receive genuine care from them. I'm not flattening disagreement to argue for us to strive for some mythical middle. That's not what I'm advocating for here. I'm saying in Christian relationship and in Christian community, when people are striving for Christ-likeness, when they're seeking to be developed and have the fruit of the Spirit developed in their lives and they're bearing fruit, and you disagree about hard things, what does that look like? What does that mean? Does that disagreement keep you from being in community with one another? I am not arguing to continue subjecting yourself to abuse because a, differing, a difference of opinions is not the end of the road. That is not what I'm saying. But what do you stand to lose, friends, if you let go of the need to justify yourself? as we continue to prepare to come to the table, I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit what it is that you can let go of today. And if anything comes to your heart or your mind, just bring that with you to the altar as we gather around the Lord's table and receive his body and his blood. Brothers and sisters, the way of the kingdom is not a code to be cracked. It's not something that's only attainable by star students or professional preachers. It's not far off. It's right in front of you. It's rooted in reality. Let go of what's holding you back and say yes to kingdom life today. Church, witness the way of love and go from here and do likewise. You are free 
to release whatever's holding you back from love today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.